listeners. I'm your host, Phoebe Zhang, and today we have the privilege of welcoming a remarkable guest, Jeff Perlman. In his role as the former CEO of OneSaaS, a software as a service cloud integration platform, Jeff demonstrated exceptional leadership in steering the ship toward the creation of a thriving business. His expertise lies in the art of translating imaginative concepts into concrete commercial value, utilizing dynamic product strategies, user-centric roadmaps, and strategic partnerships that propel sustainable growth. In 2021, Jeff's journey reached new pinnacles as OneSaaS was acquired by Intuit. A major milestone in his illustrious career. Post acquisition, Jeff redirected his focus, dedicating his time to assisting early stage entrepreneurs on their path to success, and indulging in the art of crafting guitars. Join us for an insightful conversation with Jeff. As he shares his wisdom on navigating the delicate balance between high achievement and mental well-being, discover his unique approach of replacing a traditional business plan with a business hypothesis, unveiling a refreshing perspective on entrepreneurial success. Thanks, Phoebe. Good to see you. I wonder if we can start with this question. What does well-being mean to you as an entrepreneur? Yeah,、uh, it's a great question because it, it kind of is the foundation for everything else that I'm guessing we're going to discuss.、Um, well-being as an entrepreneur is not forgetting that it's about you, and that you can't lose yourself in the business that you're trying to build. And it's it's very easy to do to make the business more important than yourself, and and.、Uh, The adverse effects that can have on your mental health, your mental state, the mental health of your family and the, your friends and the people around you can be quite severe if you if you lose track of that.、Mm, yeah, that's so well said. And if you reflect,、uh, especially around the beginning of your entrepreneurship journey, Jeff, I wonder what were some of the biggest challenges that you faced, and how did、uh, those challenges impact your well-being? Do we have seven or eight hours? Because no, I'll try to summarize. <laughs> Thank you.、Um, so my business partner in OneSaas was was Cornelia Tisnia, and when we first started working together, when he invited me to join something he had already started to build,、um, we went on a trip to the U.S. and came back, and and our wives jokingly said,、uh, "You you guys seem like an old married couple the way you talk to each other."、Um, and I think that's probably one of the important things is that you are forming. A partnership. I believe most. I believe good, solid entrepreneurships, good startups should have a partnership and should be co-founded.、Um, single founder entities, I think, tend to lack a little bit of that dynamic of different personalities coming to play and different perspectives balancing each other off,、mm. uh, different skill sets to, to complement each other.、Um, but you're really forming a partnership that is with somebody you're going to spend more time with, doing something more intense or as intense as you do in a marriage or any other formal partnership, and. No matter how many times you look at it and go, this is going to take us three to five years to go build this and do that and get exit. You're actually committing to, you know, eight, ten years,、um, and that's the reality of most startups: is that they're long-term commitments, 
and you have to look after just not just not just your own how am I going to balance my life into this thing that's going to be all consuming but how am I going to form a healthy partnership with the person I need to do it with mm -hmm. uh, and that challenge there was a lot of challenging moments in the early days of, of finding our feet with each other and finding the best ways to communicate and work with each other um, it was really good that both both Cornelia and I were very forthright people and, and happy to express ourselves very clearly. Um, so we were able to have, um, I'll call them assertive uh, discussions about how to do things and how to get going and, and which direction to go. But we, we did those with the right spirit of, of finding good direction and finding a good settled way to communicate and keep the channels open. And that was really, that was really important challenges and really important that we worked that out early on to allow to clear the field to, to focus on the business and not focus on the partnership as the primary challenge. Mm, mm, mm. Um, I wonder if there's any uh, like really challenging times that you had with uh, uh, with your co-founder and um... yeah, I mean, the the most challenging times. Again, I'll go back to the the analogy of a of a marriage or a partnership of that kind um, when third parties come in and try to be part of that marriage. Uh, yeah. so obviously, early on in every startup journey, you're looking for, for finance. You're, looking, you're finding the right way to fund your business. Mm -hmm. And there's a plethora of options, and there's a lot of investors out there, and they all have their own approaches and how they like to work with founders. Um, but we found early on we had several experiences with potential investors that were disruptive and challenging to our partnership and to the way we wanted to, to take the business, and that we both, we each, we each were challenged in different ways, and sometimes it challenged us as a partnership as to whether or not we should listen to each other or listen to this supposed expert coming in to tell us how we should be running our business and, and how we should finance our business. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, we went everywhere from from a early, early stage investor that took Cornelia aside and said that he should be his own sole founder and CEO and that, that I shouldn't be part of the business. Um, they challenged him to think about that and to come to the conclusion that it worked out that to, to no, no, we're going to stay as a partnership and, and we'll, we'll forego that investor if that's one of the criteria. Um, we had an investor that spent way, way too much of my time going way, way too deep into developing a detailed financial business plan and projections for something that was way too early to spend that much time on because it was way too theoretically th theoretical to be that detailed. And that, that was a very big distraction that was, challenging for me for a while. Um, we had investors come at us that had an investment foundation, as in where their original funds came from, that challenged us ethically, um, as in they came from the mining and the gambling businesses. And that was something that we had to think about. Do we want that, that money coming into our business? Um, so, you know, I would say the source of a lot of those early challenges was finding funding that was right for us and were the right people to work with and weren't trying to disrupt what we had already established that was working well by trying to force us or make us or push us to do it differently and would allow us to continue to build what we believe was a good partnership and a good business in the direction that we were taking. Yeah, yeah, that makes perfect sense. And I'm curious, Steph, if you happen to have the power to travel back in time, yeah, uh, would there be anything you do differently or perhaps to tell yourself to take another approach, and what would that be? Yeah, I mean, it's very easy to go back and say, oh, I wish I'd done that differently, or I wish I'd done that, but I'm kind of a believer in corny, but the butterfly effect, you know, when you things, things happen and they have a downstream effect, we got where we got 
too, which was a really fantastic exit with an acquisition by Intuit. We got there because of everything that happened before them. Mm. So would I, would I change anything? No. Are there things that I look at and say, if I do this again, I would do that differently? Absolutely. Mm. Because it's a new journey and I've got to learn from the previous one. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, so there's, there's a lot of things that are important to settle and get aligned on early. There's a lot of things, um, you know, to think about how you, how you learn to manage a business frugally and with focus early on to make sure that you stay on path and don't go too broad. Um, there's you know, a whole variety of things where we learned and pulled back from, from, from mistakes that distracted the business for a while, from everything from taking on business that we shouldn't have just because somebody wanted 60% of what we were building, but forced us down a direction of, of, of starting to build out new features that weren't really part of our plan just to, just to win the business because somebody wanted to give us money. Um, you know, learning, not saying no to those things, um, to hiring decisions and the difficulty in hiring certain roles and, and maybe hiring some roles in the wrong priority. Um, but all those things, they sound like business issues, but they all impact you personally and, it, and, it, and your mental well-being because you sit there questioning yourself. And that's the 2 a.m. and the 3 a.m. conversation in your head that keeps you awake at night is, are we doing the right thing? Did we go too far? Have we made this mistake? How do we back out of it? How do we get out of out of something that we shouldn't have gotten into? How do we change path without leaving detritus on the road of, of damaged people that we that we made promises to, but now feel that those are the wrong promises? All those kind of things. Mm, mm, mm. And you take it very personally, and that's that's something you know it's hard not to because the business is such a deep important part of who you are while you're building it. Yeah. But you've got to find that that line of separation and not take things so deeply personally that um, that they damage your mental health. And that's 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 what this podcast, I think, is all about. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's a very good uh, analogy you just used, Jeff. You know, there is a separation line between what we are and what we do. Right. And yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll use the, the deepest, darkest moment in, in one sense was when we reached a point where we were, we were out of money. We could see good things about to happen, but we were there was too big a gap between when we were out of money and when those things would start to actually produce. We were acting so, somewhat desperately in terms of finding funding, and we started to go down a road of taking on an investor that was going to be bad for us. And it took us probably a good month and a half, two months down that road to realize that that investor was going to be bad for us and not the right path and to reject that. But during that time, deepest, darkest moment for me is I reached the point where I couldn't pay my mortgage. And the bank was saying, basically, if you can't pay this, then you need to sell your house. Mm-hmm. And I had a moment where my son sat down just very nonchalantly and I was very upset. And he, he said, dad, it's just a house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just a house. And, you know, that Australian mentality of, owning your home is so important. And I realized, oh, wait, if we sold the house and I was just renting, all the personal stress around finances would just evaporate. And we did. And it was very difficult because we loved that house. We sold the house and that freed up the financial stress and allowed us to focus. And things went really, really well for the business and personally, financially over the next year and a half, two years, because we made that change and removed that pressure point on me personally that was, that was making it difficult for me to commit to continue. Yeah. And that, that's one of those points where I could have very easily exited and taken on a full-time corporate role again and, and addressed it that way, but I didn't. We, we found a different way by prioritizing what's important. Yeah. Wow. That is big. Like that moment, right? 
That it job. was, and it is, and it still is, but it, you look back on it, you know, I look back on it and I still feel it was the right choice amongst difficult choices at a very difficult time. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, it's, I, I don't feel like I did the wrong thing. I feel like I got myself into a wrong situation by not properly acknowledging that the reality and the vision of a startup have a pretty big gap between them in the early days. Yeah. And time frames to to do things and to to reach certain financial goals are never or rarely what you want them to be and what you set yourself up mentally to do. So, you know, that's probably the biggest outtake from this is don't go into the startup with a time frame for when things are going to happen that are going to keep you comfortable because it's vastly more likely that those things won't happen on that time frame and that you'll be taken further out of your comfort zone than you planned or expected, then it is those things will happen within your time frame that you that you think things will happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's kind of your plan, but you'll be flexible about it. Yeah, it's nice to know this is the this is the optimal route and you know the the, the, the acceptable route that we're trying to aim for. But mm-hmm. I'm a big believer in balancing survival and, and thriving surviving and thriving in the startup and in the early days you got to really look out for your survival and make sure that you're surviving through those challenging times when you're not when your business isn't ready to thrive yeah. and setting yourself up for that survival time to be as long as it needs to be mm, 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 surviving through that allows you to thrive when when everything starts to come together when you bring everything together in the right way and things start to happen the right way yeah yeah, exactly. That's a very wise approach. And thrive, not, thrive not just as a business, but thrive personally and in your mental health. If, if you're if you're in a positive survival mode, um, I'm, I'm a bit of a fan of that show, TV show Alone. I don't know if you've ever seen Alone, but, you know, the guys who go out there going, I'm here to survive as long as I have to. Not not I'm here to hopefully make it. I want to make it 60 days. No, the guys who go out there saying I'm here to set myself up to survive as long as I need to. That's the kind of mindset you have to get into when you go into to startup land. I need to set myself up to survive as long as I need to, to make the right things happen and get the right things in place and get the right acceptance and engagement and et cetera in the marketplace and, and from external parties. I need to make sure that survival is something I set the stage for through that rather than something that I'm doing out of necessity because I didn't think I was going to have to. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a that's a very very smart approach and a very different way of looking at things. That a lot of the early stage founders, I suppose, uh, uh, probably would found it extremely valuable to see this perspective. And it sounds like Jeff, you know, there there I bet, yeah, <laughs> there must be moments of uh, anxious, you know, and all oh, the- nine years of anxiety. That's what running a startup is, just constant anxiety. <laughs> I'm curious, you know, all those all those difficult moments when you felt really anxious and stressed, uh, were there any kind of special techniques that you have developed over the time that have really pulled you back to yourself? And so you're in the space that you're you're able to make a sound and wise decision for your business and your personal life. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, one of the things that, that thankfully we had a team that believed in this and we built this culture is the bottom line is not a financial 
row in, a, in an Excel spreadsheet. The bottom line is people. And so we really focused on looking after each other as a team. And that doesn't mean that, you know, it, it, it doesn't mean that we were off playing or whatever, but we did play. You know, we, we made it a religious thing that every Tuesday or Wednesday, I can't remember what day it was, at lunchtime, we went and played soccer, indoor soccer. And we played against another company that was in the area quite a lot or with them. Um, but that was, you know, getting out, no matter how busy we were, we went and took an hour out to kick a ball around and play soccer. We, you know, once a quarter, we made a point of stepping back and having an evaluation day to just look at, hey, how are things tracking over the last quarter? What, what, where did we stray from, from our track? What new opportunities have come up that have given us good reason to stray? What reasons have we strayed that were wrong? How do we go forward? What's the next quarter look like? And those days were combined thinking about planning the business, but also a lot of social time. Um, and the, the, you know, that was the third thing we did is we got away once a year. We went away for a four-day, three-night getaway where it was intense business planning, but also intense family time. And by family time, I mean our business, our, our work family. It was just the work people there, and it was, we, we had fun, and we did, you know, we made a point of having a lot of fun after we got the work done. Mm, mm, mm. And that was, you know, all of that was really critical of making sure that you have a good support structure around you by building that trust and that that engagement with your team such that you you are a bit of a family because you are spending that much time together yeah yeah absolutely and i think another message that um i i sense in this uh in this story is you and your team actually made uh, a balance you know the well-being to integrate this into your work a mandatory part instead of an option yeah, I mean, I wouldn't even say it was something we intentionally did as a mandatory or something else. It was something we all believed in enough that it just, it, it, it happened and we kept an eye on it and we made a point of keeping the air clear all the time. And we made a point of making these engagements part of, part of our normal business, but we didn't tell people they had to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, you know, I think that that was something that I didn't recognize fully until after I left, um, after I left OneSess, that we had a really strong and unique team and culture that would be very difficult to replicate without just getting those same people together again someday. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've, yeah, we'll go into what I've done since I've left OneSess at another time, but um, yeah, it's, it's, we, we built a powerfully strong team dynamic that, that it would be very hard to, to recreate. Yeah, and I bet it's a very, very memorable uh, lifelong friendship together. Yeah. Yeah. It's- People that we have genuine, you know, we, we genuinely know each other, trust each other, have each other's back. Mm. That doesn't go away. Yeah, yeah. Very, very valuable relationships that you created in your life, for sure. Now, Jeff, um, I... I'd like to take us to a more technical side of this uh, podcast. Previously, you've shared uh, with me, I mean, just uh, our personal conversations, many business building techniques. I feel like if an early stage founder could hear about those, it would have saved them a lot of time and it would ultimately create, you know, a more balanced well-being state in their life. Now, there is this concept of a business hypothesis that you mentioned. 
and it is different from a traditional business plan. So I believe a business hypothesis is the method that you recommend startup founders to start with. So I wonder what are the differences between the hypothesis and a business plan and why is that a better option in your view in the startup context? Yeah, great, great question. Thanks for leading into that. Um, if I make it really simple first, before I get into the more deeper kind of view of how you actually play it out, a plan is something that can succeed or fail. So when you're not succeeding at your business plan, you're failing, and that creates a unnecessary stress dynamic on you personally and on the business. A hypothesis is a scientific approach that is set up to succeed or fail and learn from and like any scientific process, when you hypothesize something, you base it on all the information you have available at the time and your, your theory or hypothesis on how you think that information will play out towards a particular outcome. You're able to revisit the hypothesis when things are happening that don't support it and form the next hypothesis because at that point you have more information. So the, the, the business hypothesis approach to me is about not focusing on a plan that's got to succeed or, or, or has risk of failure, but focusing on a hypothesis where you start out with a limited amount of information, you do your best to hypothesize where it's going to take you, but then you constantly, and, and you know, back to the, the quarterly planning days we had and the annual offsites, you come back and revisit the hypothesis with all of the new information you've gathered in order to reevaluate the hypothesis and reform it to keep you on a, on a path that makes sense. So hypotheses are built to be proven right or wrong or, or mark, you know, in a gray area as well, but, and that's okay. So it's, and it's, that's okay part that's important. A hypothesis has that mental, mental framework of this is something that may or may not be proven right or wrong, but it's something that based on the reasons and the information gathered in the, in the process of proving it right or wrong, we can form new and better hypotheses. And that's a constant cycle that never stops in, in the approach that I like to take in setting up and running the business is constantly revisiting and validating or reforming the hypotheses based on huge amounts of new information that you gather. I mean, every, as you're building a business, you go from 10% information and 90% intuition and, and gut instinct. Um, and over time you, you correct that because you build enough genuine experience in the business and genuine information and data flow in the business that you can shift that around to the vast majority of it being information driven decisions and a smaller amount being that intuition and instinct to jump on and make good decisions early enough on in the information gathering that you don't waste too much time over over data analyzing over analyzing mm. Yes, very wise approach. Now, Jeff, could you please share with us a example? Like, how would you approach this using uh, business uh, hypothesis? Yeah, I mean, so one financial plan. A lot of a lot of so let's early. You're a very early startup. You're you're putting together your ten or twelve slides to propose for a business, and within that, you also are supposed to gather financial projections and a financial plan, and you can go way too deep in terms of structuring how that financial plan and model plays out into the future and get way too complex in all the bits and bobs you build into it. And, and that is unnecessary because it's unhelpful because none of that will play out to be real. Mm. 
Mm -hmm. um, but you just need enough that shows that there's viability. So viability says, hypothetically, if we do this and we price things this way and we staff this way and we spend our money this way, hypothetically, this provides us the ability to get to a point where, for example, we're cash flow break even and we can start to get a, you know, a profitability or a, or a margin on our, on our business that is acceptable in an acceptable range or a target range that we want to hit. And again, that's hypothetically, because you're, you're hypothesizing that, that can happen, but you're leaving yourself open to see that not playing out the way you hypothesize and adjusting the hypothesis to focus on achieving that outcome. Mm -hmm. Not losing track of the outcome is what important is what's important, but being flexible in, in changing your hypothesis on how to get there. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's that's awesome. Now, Jeff, we're coming to the uh, end of this episode. Yeah, and we have uh, uh, discussed so many interesting aspects of well-being and business building, and there's so many great gems that you have shared. So I wonder, uh, just to help our uh, audience to refocus. And I always ask our guests about this question. And if there's only a three items, like three concepts the audience take home today, what would your recommendation be? Like what are the most important three things that the audience that you recommend take home today? Sure. I mean, for, from, from what we discussed today, um, one is the people are the bottom line. So focus on people and people's well-being, including your own well-being. When you have people who have mental fitness, good mental health, that plays a huge role in success in, in delivering a successful business and a good business. Because you have happy, engaged people who are who are mentally in the right state of mind and not overly anxious or overly stressed to the point where that damages their ability to do the work of the business. Um, the second one is, is the hypothesis versus planning. Don't set yourself up for potential failure. Set yourself up on a course of constant iterative learning where you're always gathering, gathering and analyzing, looking at more data to make more informed decisions and a better formed hypothesis to deliver the outcome that you want. Um, and that's, you know, don't lose, don't lose track of the destination, um, but change, change the path that you are taking to get there um, in order to, uh, yeah, we covered it already. Mm -hmm. um, that's two. I can't think of three. That was the two main things we covered. Yeah. Um, oh, probably the other one is um, with, at the risk of being contentious, but but serious. You know, third parties like VCs and angel investors and other investors coming into your business need to come half need to meet you halfway and need to adapt to what your strengths are. Mm -hmm. If you allow yourself to be pulled into their way of doing things out of your comfort zone in a way that is mentally uncomfortable for you and challenging for the things that you believe are going to contribute to making yourself and your business successful, then they're the wrong fit. And it's actually better to say no to money if that money is going to come with mental health overheads that are negative yeah. than it is to take the money and allow yourself to get dragged through something that, that is not comfortable for you. Yeah, yeah. Not, that's not to say you, you can't be uncomfortable because you've got to be uncomfortable a lot through the startup journey, but I'm talking about mental health, negative, uncomfortable, this doesn't feel right kind of stuff. So thank you very much again, Jeff. Thank you for reaching out to me for this podcast. It, it was a lot of fun, been fun catching up with you and fun having these discussions. <laughs>